The opinions expressed on this WebmasterRadio.fm program are those of the host, guests, and callers, and do not reflect those of the staff, management, or advertisers of WebmasterRadio.fm. Any rebroadcast or retransmission of this program without the express written consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. It's time to get fired up. Fired Up is a show that delivers both business impact and social importance. Get ready to explore the connection between communications and human motivation. Our guests will share ideas on how to create higher returns on your communication investments by engaging the people who matter most. Our host, Gordon Rudo, CEO of Bonfire Communications, has bridged the communications gap from startups and nonprofits to the Fortune 500, from political leaders to celebrity CEOs. Get ready to be fired up with your master communicator, Gordon Rudo. So welcome to Fired Up. This is Gordon Rudo, your host. Pleasure to be back with you folks today. Excited to have Marshall Goldsmith on. I mentioned in the last episode that we would have Marshall, and in previous episodes, teed this up. And I think we have a really nice segue with some of the conversation with Language in Common last week on on the notion of self awareness that we spent a, a lot of time with, and in learning about Marshall over the last uh, couple of days intensively over the last ten years uh, through exposure and, and watching him speak. I think you're going to get some incredible nuggets on this issue around organizational effectiveness, leadership effectiveness, and really how, how you, as a business leader, as a communicator, uh, can take control of your effectiveness and what you do in the organization. And uh, he's got tremendous nuggets of value to, to share with us today. But I, I want to give you a little bit of the background that we spent time with on, on other episodes. We did talk to, to Bev Kay around how engagement and connecting people to passion uh, lived primarily in the conversation between the manager and the employee. Then we heard with Donna Markova the angle that we're going to spend time with throughout the season on how our mind works. And, and again, we're going to spend a little time on that today. Uh, so she took us to the neurobiological perspectives of leadership and organizations, uh, followed by Terry McKinsey as an internal communications leader for her son, talking about the issue of authenticity. Then we got into the issue of confidence and how do you create organizational confidence with Jeff Saltzman, and then with Josh and Axel last week, our buddies from Language in Common, talking about uh, the notion of communications and viral marketing and design and creativity through this perspective of of awareness and self-awareness. So, Marshall, you're going to take us further into this topic. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. Thank you for this invitation. Well, we're psyched to have you, and, and I've got lots of questions for you, but before we talk about your your topics, if you could share with our audience a little bit about your background. I, I've, I have your whole bio here, but rather than walking them through uh, all of the books and all of the experiences, tell us where this started for you. How did you get into the field of, of leadership and coaching? Well, I'm from a you know, small town in Kentucky, went to school in Indiana, got a Ph.D. at UCLA. I was a college professor and I was a dean, and I met a very famous man, Dr. Paul Hersey, and followed him around, learned to kind of do what he did. He got double booked. He said, do you think you can do what I do? And I was making $15,000 a year, and he offered me $1,000 for one day, and I said, I'll try. And fortunately, I turned out to be very successful, and he said, do you want to do this again? And that's how I got into the, uh, that's how I got into the leadership development business. And then coaching was also kind of a fortuitous accident. I um, 
was working with one of my clients who was the CEO of a big company, and he said, we've got this young guy working for us, young, smart, dedicated, hardworking, driven to achieve, creative, entrepreneurial, stubborn, know-it-all. He said, be worth a fortune to me if you could help us turn this guy around. Uh, do you want to, you think you can do it? And I said, well, I like fortunes. Maybe I can help him. And then he said, I doubt it. And I said, well, maybe I can help. He said, I don't think so. Then I came up with an idea. I said, I'll work with the guy for a year. The guy gets better pay me. If he doesn't get better, it's all free. He said, sold. That's how I got into executive coaching. And in my coaching work, I don't get paid if my clients don't get better. And better is not judged by me or them. It's judged by everyone around them. So, and I've had very, very good fortune to have great teachers, people like Richard Beckhard, Peter Drucker. A lot of the most famous people in the world in my field, I've been fortunate enough to have been around these people and, and learn from these people. So I feel very lucky. You mind if I dig into the Peter Drucker? He's been a, uh, a hero of mine, someone that's been inspirational on, on many levels to, to my work. Can you tell us about your relationship with Peter, where that started and, and where it went? Well, I met Peter through Francis Hesselbein. I was a volunteer for the Girl Scouts, and Francis left Girl Scouts and formed the Peter Drucker Foundation. I was on the Peter Drucker Foundation for 10 years, so I got, to spend, I got a chance to spend, oh, about five or six days a year with Peter Drucker. Very, very blessed to be able to do that, and just an amazing man. I'll tell you one quick story about Peter Drucker to illustrate how brilliant he is. I saw him about two weeks before he died. This was several years ago, and I, we were talking about business, and he wasn't really in good shape at all physically, but he still had capacities about understanding history and business, and I... I said, you know, Peter, I think General Motors is going to go bankrupt. I can't see any way around it. And this was several years ago. He looked at me and he goes, Marshall, you may be right. They may go bankrupt, but I'm not sure. The government may come up with some plan that is like bankruptcy, but not exactly bankruptcy, and then structure things so that they don't have to say they're bankrupt, but go through a very similar process, which would be organized by the United States government. Wow. Peter Drucker, amazing man. And this was in what year? This was about five years ago, right before he wow. died. What a brilliant man. Think about that one. It's almost frightening. And if you could, you know, sum up what you've learned from Peter, if, if, what was, if you could, a primary takeaway? How did, how did he affect your work? Well, Peter Drucker, in, in, in some sense, is a very simple man. I asked him, I said, what was your goal in life? He said, my goal is real simple, and that's to help other people achieve their goals, assuming they're not immoral, illegal, or unethical. Or assuming they're not immoral or unethical, and he said, I'm too old to care if they're illegal or not. So, uh, you know, at some level, he was a very complex man, but at another level, he's a very simple man. Also, Peter Drucker did not have big ego issues. He was not overly enamored with himself. He just considered himself author and a college professor, and, and in some sense, not that big of a deal. So your work is in shape by lots of individuals. Could you yes. give us another example or two of some fundamental teachings that you've had along your career line? Well, one of my great teachers that Beverly also knew, Beverly Kay, is, uh, is Bob Tannenbaum. And I was in Bob Tannenbaum's class at UCLA, and Dr. Tannenbaum was a very respected man. And in our class, we were encouraged to talk about whatever we felt like talking about. So I spent three weeks when I was young babbling about people in Los Angeles. I talked about how screwed up they were because they wore these $85 sequin blue jeans and they uh, were and they drove yellow Rolls Royces around and they're plastic and materialistic and all they care about doing is impressing other people. So after three weeks, old Dr. Tannenbaum looks at me and says, Marshall, who are you talking to? I said, I'm talking to the group. He said, who in the group are you talking to? I 
said, I guess I'm talking to everybody. He said, I don't know if you know this, but every time you've spoken, you've looked at only one person. You've seemed interested in the opinion of only one person. Who is that person? I thought about it, and I said, that's interesting. That would be you. He said, that's right, me. What about the other 11 people? I said, you know, Dr. Tannenbaum, I think a person with your extreme background and sensitivity to this field could understand the true depth of what I am saying. He looked at me and said, Marshall, is there any chance for the last three weeks all you've been doing is trying to impress me? I looked at him and I said, no. I said, I'm very disappointed. I think you missed everything I said. I don't think you understand at all. He looked at me and he said, I think I understand. I hated his guts for about six months. Six months later, I looked in the mirror and I said, thank you, Dr. Tannenbaum. You just taught me a great lesson about life. And that really influenced a lot of the work I do. Interesting. And a lot of your work seems to be around our egoic nature and, and how to understand ourselves. Is that is that fair to say? That's very fair to say. So one of the things that we've been wrestling with, Marshall, over the last five weeks and we're going to continue throughout the season is is how do we connect people to, to their passions? As a leader, um, whether we're running a company, a division, uh, a function, a team, or if we're in the communications role, that's a primary audience of ours, um, we're wrestling with all kinds of changes that we need to inspire in the organization, and, and these days more than ever, you know, huge mergers and acquisitions that are happening, massive changes in regulatory environment or competitive situations, uh, and we're forced to help people go through sticky change, real difficult stuff. Um, so we've been tackling this issue from a lot of perspectives, and as I open the show, I shared a couple of different perspectives that we've heard so far. What does your leadership and coaching and your Buddhist background kind of teach us as, as a core principle of how to think about passion and connection and how do we inspire people to, to change their thinking and behavior. And, and this core issue that, that you bring up or your models, uh, we'll dive into throughout the episode today, but if you were to sum it up before our first break, what would be a point of view that, that you kind of center this around? Well, you can help people become the best person they choose to be. You really can't make people be a person that they don't choose to be. And if you want people to be passionate and committed, you have to tap into what's inside of them, not what's inside of you. The biggest learning I've had as an executive coach over the last three years is no one gets better because of me. They get better because of themselves. I can help people get better at what they choose to improve. I really make no effort to make people improve when they don't have their heart in it. Interesting. And how did you come to that particular point of view, if you share one of your big teachable moments around that? Well, in my coaching, I don't get paid if, I, if my clients don't get better. Better is not judged by me or them. It's judged by everyone around them. I found there's an inverse correlation between the, time, the amount of time people spend with me and the improvement they make. The client I spent the most amount of time with didn't improve at all. The client I spent the least amount of time with improved the most. So I had the privilege of talking to the client I spent the least amount of time with who improved the most, and I said, what should I learn from you? He said, Marshall, the first thing you need to learn from me is you have one job in life, pick the right clients. If you pick the right clients, your coaching process will always work. If you pick the wrong clients, your coaching process will never work. He said, I manage 50,000 people. I'm no different. I have to pick the right people. Then he also said, this coaching process was never about you. It was about me and my team. My advice for you as a coach is don't make the coaching process about you. Make it about your clients. And that advice was so wise because I realized that 
the key variable for successful coaching is not a great coach. The key variable in successful coaching is a great client. I think almost everything written in this field is all garbage. It indicates that the great coach does this and this, and people get better because they have a great coach. I don't believe that. People get better because they're great people. Hmm. We're going to spend some time on this. We're going to take a short break, but I want to understand when we come back, how do you get somebody who's who's wanting to and on the edge but doesn't know how? And uh, I think we're going to hear all kinds of things from Marshall when we come back from break. So uh, stay with us. We'll be back in just two minutes. Stay tuned. Fired Up on WebmasterRadio.fm will return after this short break. Are you happy with your landing page performance? Discover how to improve your landing page performance with ConversionCritic.com. Brought to you by Engine Ready. Turn your underperforming landing pages into cost-effective sales-producing machines. Be sure you're not wasting your precious PPC budget. Conversion Critic tools give you the ingredients to create high converting landing pages. You don't have to be an expert to use Engine Ready's Conversion Critic tools, but you'll feel like a landing page pro. Take the guesswork out of increasing your conversion rate. Visit conversioncritic.com and boost your conversion rate for free. That's www.conversioncritic.com. Do you consider yourself a super affiliate? Then listen up. One of the most trusted names in affiliate marketing since 2003, XY7.com, has now launched XY7Elite.com. It's a private, invitation-only affiliate program run by super affiliates for super affiliates. Enjoy private tested offers, weekly deposits right to your bank account or XY7 debit card, XY7 VIP concierge service, limousine transportation to and from major your industry events and the status of being one of the elite publishers xy7 elite is not for everyone and you need to be accepted and maintain volume requirements think you got what it takes to be elite go to www.xy7elite.com or call 702-216-4000 once again that's xy7elite.com or call 702-216-4000 Your company's website sucks. You know it. Everybody knows it. So get a to-do list to fix it. On Target, a subscription service from Future Now and Brian Eisenberg monitors your website 24-7. Analyzing the actions of every potential customer. It gives you a to-do list. It tells you exactly what to fix and how to fix it. So that more of your visitors do what you need them to do. On Target pricing starts at $1,000 a month. See more at futurenowinc.com slash ontarget. LPO, Landing Page Optimization, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the advertising channel, only on webmasterradio.fm. You're getting fired up, only on webmasterradio.fm. Now, here's Gordon Rudo. So we are back with Marshall Goldsmith, and those of you who have heard of Marshall in the past, you won't need to hear some of this, but I do want to share with folks who are not as familiar with Marshall some of his accomplishments. Uh, Those who have seen him speak uh, know that he has been one of the foremost coaches that we've had the opportunity in in kind of modern organizations to work with. So he is one of the finest there is in the organizational coaching space, wrote uh, his recent book on succession planning, Succession, Are You Ready?, uh, by Harvard Business Press this year, The Organization of the Future, um, is one of his foundational books, and what got you here won't get you there. Something that we're spending some time in here. There's 
many other books in his past, Coaching for Leadership, The Art and Practice of, of Leadership Coaching, um, has been uh, coached to many of the top organizations in the world. So we have the opportunity to spend time with him on the coaching issue. So I want to spend our time in that particular domain. We left with getting the right clients and in the Jim Collins metaphor of having the right people on the bus in the organization and making sure that we're hiring right or teaming right for the efforts that we have. So, so how do you find the right people, and, and what do you do if, if most of them are the right people, Marshall, but they're not all there? Well, again, the key point is you change what you can change, and you don't change what you can't change. Sometimes I work in organizations and they'll say, well, everybody on my team is really motivated except one. And then I'll say, okay, well, what is your power or leverage over the one? Sometimes they'll say, well, I can't really fire them. They don't care about the compensation difference. And they describe a situation where they have absolutely no power. Power can be defined as influence potential. If you have no influence potential, you have no influence potential. So you know what I say? Stick them in a corner. If you can't fire them and you can't influence them, stick them in a corner and work with the rest of the team as a team. Give them individual work to do and let them do it, but don't have them bother anybody else on the team. You see, we can only change what we can change. And the one thing I've learned in my coaching is coaching works with people who care. Coaching doesn't work with people that don't care. Have you ever attempted to change the behavior of a person that had absolutely no interest in changing? Well, how much luck did you have in these religious conversion activities? What I do in my job is I don't try to have religious conversions. I work with people that care and try to help them get better, and my whole coaching process works if three conditions exist. One, the people you're coaching care. Two, they are given a chance, and three, their issue is behavioral. If they care, they're given a fair chance and their issue is behavioral. The stuff I teach always works. If they don't care, or if they're not given a fair chance, or if their issue is not behavioral, the stuff that I teach never works. And in 70% of all coaching situations, the issue is behavioral. The person is willing to be given a fair chance, and, and they, they will try. And in those situations, it always works. So that's what I focus on. And by the way, the other this, 30%, I, I don't deal with. And is that kind of an organizational perspective as well? We struggle in change management with those resistors, and, and do we communicate and engage with the entire population and move them all, or do we focus on what you might be suggesting, kind of the 80-20 rule, those who are either highly motivated or somewhere in the middle, but those who are, are fighting against it, is that a principle that we can we apply waste, broader? I think we waste, way, we waste way too much time with people who don't care. The, the study after study on coaching is real clear. Coaching is not particularly useful with people who don't care. And the time we waste with people who don't care is time that's stolen from the people who do care. My advice for people in coaching is put your time and energy in with people who do care. The ones that don't care, let it go. seems to be a very comfortable place for you to be, almost a, a disattached um, and pretty objective position. Well, in my coaching, as I said, I'm not getting paid anyway, so I have no vested interest in wasting my time. And also, nobody may me God this week. I'm not here to judge people. If, you know, I work with someone and it's pretty obvious they don't care, what do I say? I say, goodbye. I'm just choosing not to work with you. I'm not saying you're a bad person. You may be a fine human being. It's just this is a waste of time. So in this kind of uh, objective-focused manner, working with the people who do care uh, and giving them all of your effort, <clears throat> this, this does sound like you, you, your Buddhism coming out. Did your Buddhism uh, background, as I understand it, uh, an influence for this work? I had total influence of my work. 
uh, my work is very Buddhist. Buddha said, only do what I teach if it works in the context of your own life. If it doesn't work for you, don't do it. Well, in my, when I give people advice, you know what I teach them? Only do what I teach if it works for you. If it doesn't work for you, don't do it. Uh, again, I'm not God. Nobody made me your, your father or your boss or your Lord. So uh, I'll give you my advice. And people who my advice is useful and helpful, hey, I'm happy to work with them and happy to help them try to get better. And if it doesn't work for you, that doesn't mean there's something wrong with you or something wrong with me. It just means this doesn't work for you. So I teach something called Feed Forward. And in Feed Forward, you learn to ask people all around you for their advice and suggestions. And like Buddha said, you take these as a gift and you say thank you. And the ones you want to use, use. And the ones you don't want to use, you just say thank you. But you don't put people down or critique people because they're trying to help you. You encourage people who are trying to help you. You say thank you. And even if you disagree with their advice, you don't make them feel bad or prove they're wrong. You just say thank you. You don't promise to do everything everyone says. You do promise to listen to people and think about what they say and do what you can. And as a coach, uh, I mean, this is what you do for a living, but I imagine many of us, whether we are, are leaders of a team or if we're on a team, how do we define this role called coach, and, and is it more pervasive than someone who's playing that primary function? Well, the way I teach coaching is the coach is a facilitator, not the coach as an expert. So in my coaching, I facilitate my clients learning from everyone around them. I don't play the role of some expert or know-it-all who sprinkles tidbits of advice. If you look at my book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There, and you look at the first six pages of the book, you'll see who my clients are. They put their names in the book. These are CEOs or could be CEOs of some of the biggest companies in the world. Well, obviously, I can't tell them what to do and how to do it or boss them around or, you know, I'm not an expert on all those companies. What I can do, though, is help them learn from everyone around them. I can facilitate a process where great people learn from all the great people around them. I don't play the role of some know-it-all who sits there and tells them what to do and how to do it. That's also why our coaching process is a very transferable process. Uh, Many companies, including GE, have used our coaching process with hundreds and thousands of leaders, and the results of their internal coaches are often just as good as the results of people that hire fancy executive coaches. Also, the University of California, Berkeley, right now is doing a pilot study with peer coaching, and so far the results of people who have peer coaches are just outstanding. So this is coaching process is when you teach coaching as facilitation, not coaching as expert, it's a very transferable process. So it would be the role of a business leader or of a, a team leader as a, um, somebody who's running a project to play this role of facilitator of the potential of the team. Is that, is that fair? Of course, and that the leader can help people learn from everyone around them. Learn from your clients. Learn from your colleagues. Learn from your peers. Learn from your direct reports. Learn from everybody. So the learning doesn't just come from the manager or the leader. You teach people to learn from everyone around them, and the manager or leader is only one source of information, not the source of information. And with teams kind of peer-to-peer who may see this as a a conflict, uh, not wanting to learn from those around them, these are just my peers, that's a hierarchical position, Uh, what's your statement to these folks? See, you keep coming back to how do I deal with people who don't care, and the answer is I don't. Uh Uh-huh. I'm not the world's expert on all topics. I only help people who care, those who are willing to try, and those issue is behavioral. Those other people, you know what? Other people who you may talk to can help them more than I can. 
In my older years, I've given up on saving people. Uh-huh. Yeah, I have no It's just not worth the energy, anymore. right? You, you, you have only well, so much energy to spend, and not, where are going to put it? Not for me. If other people want to invest their life in trying to save people, my feeling is, you know, knock yourself out. Good luck. Maybe you'll be a success. And, and what we're trying to my, understand on the show, as business leaders, as communicators, where should we spend our energy? And where should we fight our fight? So we have this issue quite a bit of dealing with resistors, and this is a provocative point of view, is, is work with uh, those who really do care. And you potentially have 80, 89% of the people care. Yeah. Spend your energy with the 90% that care. People that don't care, either fire them. If you can't fire them, give them directions. If you can't give them directions, stick them in a corner. <laughs> That's pretty simple. And if you want, on the other hand, if other people would prefer to put all of their energy in the bottom 10% who don't care, my feeling is knock yourself out. Good luck. You're a better man than I am. I dig it, Marshall. I dig it. So we have a couple minutes more before our, our next break, but I want to ask you about natural law. And we're talking about spending our energy and we're talking about natural law. This is something that you, you speak about in your book. Um, what is natural law from your perspective? Everybody behaves in a way that's consistent with their own values. And what's in it for me in terms of their values? And when I say natural law, it doesn't mean everyone is selfish or greedy. People's natural values could be to help others or it could be to leave a legacy. But people behave in a way that's consistent with their own self-interest as they define their own self-interest. And that is, at least if they're rational people, why would anybody work, for example, for a bank other than to make money for themselves. I mean, you know, they're not curing cancer. They're not saving the world for democracy. What are they there for? Well, they're not sacrificing their souls so some stockholder can get rich. They're basically trying to help themselves and their family. That's not immoral, illegal, or unethical. That's just real. And then I think when people are at lower levels in an organization, what's in it for me tends to be more money, status, power, things like that. And with people I deal with at higher levels, it often gets into meaning, contribution, legacy. What am I happiness? What am I doing as a human being to make the world a better place? How do we get to, and this is the communicator's challenge, the what's in it for me for people, how do you understand what is it for that particular leader? Is it meaning? Is it contribution? Is it legacy? Or for the what's in it for me for individuals, what's your point of view of how, how do you dissect that? I ask them. I find most people that I'm around tell me the truth. So in organizations, as communicators, we sometimes have a difficult time asking folks. Uh, you have an opportunity as, as a leadership coach to speak very directly and, and talk to the senior leadership of the company. Uh, oftentimes, as a professional communicator and running an agency, I have to go in and, and understand what are these unique concerns from, from 20,000 people, from different segments, from different populations. Any counsel from your experience for, for folks like us that are looking at it real broadly and trying to distill how do we connect to these concerns for people and, and understand how to move the energy in directions that they care about? Well, I think there's two things you can do. One is the broader sense. You can do broader type of asking, which would be surveys, uh, you know, the broad, more mass market types, and then combine that with more in-depth work so that after you do the broader ideas and get the vague feeling for what people want, then you can hone in more at the individual level and say, what does this mean to you? So you put a little more of feeling, humanity, and color to the broader idea of what people want. 
Excellent. So after our break, I want to talk about this in-depth asking and spend some more time on what got you here. And spending time in the book in the last couple of days, really enjoyed the dissection of people's egos, their identities, and how they get in their own way. So uh, we'll be right back with Marshall Goldsmith diving into what got you here. Stay tuned. Fired Up on WebmasterRadio.fm will return after this short break. Looking for a new way to build backlinks and traffic back to your website? Then look no further than the quickest and easiest way to blast your article to thousands of subscribers at the click of a mouse. Introducing ArticleSender.com, the world's premier article distribution service. With ArticleSender.com, you can submit your prize-winning piece to thousands of promising publishers and article directories craving for fresh content. ArticleSender.com also provides premium services so that your article is SEO SEO ready. Plus, we provide express editorial review for rush delivery of your submissions within 24 to 48 hours. Article distribution at its easiest. One form, one click, thousands of results. Get your free account today at articlesender.com. That's article S-E-N-D-E-R.com. Hey, have you got the number for Jerry's Pizza? Look it up on LocalPages.com. LocalPages.com. Well, what if I wanted a business number in Miami? LocalPages.com. Can people find your business online? Be seen with LocalPages.com on every local listing in all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, MSN, and Ask. With over 6 billion quality searches a month and bids starting as low as one cent, get connected with local consumers at the exact moment that they're looking for you. San Francisco, Green Bay, London. I told you. LocalPages.com. List your business on LocalPages.com now and get $100 in free local advertising. LocalPages.com, bringing your neighborhood to you. FriendFinder. FriendFinder. The world's largest online dating network. Featuring over 100 million profiles at hot sites such as Passion.com and FastCupid.com. Represents enormous profit-making opportunities for webmasters just like you. With FriendFinder's ability to geo-target and provide billing solutions in most languages and currencies, you are sure to find our comprehensive network to be a good friend to your wallet. Get more traffic-maximizing details now at FriendFinder.com. PPC Rockstars will take you to the promised land of PPC Profit. Live broadcast Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the advertising channel. Only on WebmasterRadio.fm. You're getting fired up only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Now, here's Gordon Rudo. So we're back with Marshall Goldsmith finalizing our interview today and want to go right into your book, Marshall, uh, What Got You Here. So if you can sum up some takeaways, our audience really wants to do something different starting tomorrow. They're looking for defined things. So how do we, how do we think about developing ourselves, Marshall, and, and helping other people get better? What are some of the, the key takeaways that we can think about? My process is very simple. Step one, ask for input. Get in the habit of asking a question. How can I be a better? How can I be a better leader, friend, family member? How can I be a better team member? How can I be a better supplier? Learn to ask for input from everyone you respect, all those good people around you. Learn to listen to this input in a non-judgmental way. Thank people for what they're telling you. Think about what they're saying. Ponder it. Thank them. Don't promise to do everything. Then respond to people. Say, you know, I've asked for a lot of input. Here's what I learned. Here's what I feel great about. Here's what I can do better. Apologize for your previous sins. Say, look, the mistakes I made in the past, all I can say is I'm sorry. I can't change the past. I can change the future. 
please give me some ideas so that as we move forward, I can do a great job of and whatever you need to work on, fill in the blank right there. Then ask them for that input. Involve them in helping you. And then the next step is focus on change, and the key is follow-up. Get in the regular disciplined habit of going back to the people you respect and saying, last month I said I wanted to be a better listener. Based on last month, give me ideas for next month. And if you go through this detailed process that I've described, I published an article called Leadership as a Contact Sport. If anybody would like a copy of it, send me an email, marshall at marshallgoldsmith.com. I'll send it to you. It's a research study we did with 86,000 people published in the Journal of Strategy and Business, and it shows how when leaders ask for input, listen, think about it, respond, and follow up in a disciplined way, they are invariably perceived as better leaders by those who they respect. And when they don't talk to people, they don't involve people, they don't follow up, they don't get any better. <clears throat> a lot of asking and listening. Um, excellent. And if people do want to email you, Marshall, how would they, how would they get in touch with you? Marshall, M-A-R-S-H-A-L-L, at MarshallGoldsmith.com. Okay. And as always, uh, if you want to comment on today's show and get information to Marshall uh, through our Twitter account, www.twitter.com forward slash fired up radio. So uh, please do that. Uh, also want to close with something I was really impacted by, Marshall, um, watching your videos and, and hearing what seems to be one of your key techniques is, is looking back from your old wise person. Tell us about that exercise. Well, what I suggest everyone do is imagine you're 95 years old and you're just getting ready to die. You're on that deathbed. Here comes your last breath. But before you take that last breath, you're given a wonderful gift. The ability to go back in time and talk to the person that's listening to me right now. What advice would the wise 95-year-old you who knows what was really important in life and what was not and what matters and what does not and what counts and what doesn't count? What advice would that wise old person have to the person who's listening to me right now? Well, a friend of mine had the privilege of talking to people who were dying and the answers from old people revolve around three themes. Theme number one is be happy now. The great Western disease is sweeping the world. I'll be happy when, when I get the car, when I get the status, when I get the money, when I get the BMW. We all have exactly the same when. That old person facing death, that is when. Learning point from old people is I got so much wrapped up looking at what I didn't have, I missed what I did. I had almost everything. I wish I would have appreciated it and enjoyed it a little more. So learning point one from old people, be happy now. I've asked thousands of parents around the world this question. My child grows up, I want my child to be. One word comes up in the answer from parents more than every other word combined, no matter what country I'm in. What's that word? Happy. You know what I tell the parents? You want your child to be happy? You go first. Let them watch you be happy. You want your parents to be happy? You want the people who love you to be happy? You be happy. Learning point for number two involves people, friends and family, doing whatever you can to build relationships with them, and, and at work, helping people however you can. These are hard times. The main reason to help people has nothing to do with status or money or getting ahead. The main reason to help people is a 95-year-old, you will be proud of you because you did, and 95-year-old, you will be very disappointed if you don't. And if you don't believe this is true, interview any CEO who's retired and ask him a question. What are you proud of? I've asked many of them this question. None of them ever told me how big their office was. All they ever talk about is the people they help. The final advice is go for it. Go for it. Follow your dreams. You may not win, but at least you can look in the mirror and say, you know, I tried. 
Old people seldom regret the risk they took and failed. They almost always regret the risk they failed to take. So do what you think is right. Follow your heart. You may not always win. At least you can look in a mirror and say, you know what, at least I tried. And you won't regret not having tried. Closing wisdom from Marshall Goldsmith. I love it. Uh, be present. Be aware. Be open. Be engaged. Be engaged in meaningful relationships. Help make a difference when you can. Follow your heart. Uh, be happy now. Any parting words, Marshall? I just want to say thank you for this kind invitation. I hope our listeners found some stuff that's useful. And my final advice, change what you can. Make peace with what you can't. Thank you so much, Marshall. Thank you, Webmaster Radio. We're going to see you folks next week. Fired up. Take care. Take care.